I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oklahoma, Missouri State, Sooners, Bears. It is game week and it's almost game time. Welcome to the Sooner Nation podcast. Matt Hofit along with Rich DeCray. And we get to finally dedicate a full podcast to breaking down this game, giving you our thoughts, asking true or false questions. My turn this week about this game. And Rich, it's a day I know, I know you hate college football, but it's a day that I didn't know would come, but I'm glad it's here. Glad it's here. I think, Matt, when you say those words, you sum up a a majority of people's thoughts as it surrounds September 12th, specifically in Big 12 football country where we sit firmly. And when we begin to look at all that's happened from basically March up until this point, there was a lot of uncertainty that was circling the season. There was a lot of uncertainty that circled more than just college football. But the return of sports in general is a little bit of a return to normalcy for some of us. I know that you've alluded to that on multiple times throughout previous episodes of this podcast. While I have yet to take in any sports since March, uh, this will be that first weekend where I am engaged. So you're just going to let it go that I said you hate college football? You're just going to yeah. just gloss over that? Yeah, b- because we, we talked about that last week. What can I do? What can yeah, I? Yeah, but how much how much college football have you watched since last week? Um, I've seen one or two highlights. That's it. So there, therefore, the thought <laughs> holds. Okay, let's talk about Missouri State and and let's let's talk about the challenges that they may bring uh, to this Oklahoma squad. And and you know, here's the thing. I, I'm going to shoot you straight. Um, I've got a a, fam- a friend whose son plays for Missouri State is a team captain and will be on the field in this game. And with all due respect to that family in this program, Bobby Petrino, I know everywhere he's been, he's put a quarterback in the NFL. I get all that. There, the, it's more likely Oklahoma poses a challenge to themselves than Missouri State poses a challenge to Oklahoma. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that. And, and what, I, what I mean, I mean, I guess since we're agreeing, so the, to expand on that, I mean, this is a – we look at Oklahoma, a brand-new quarterback, suddenly brand-new running backs. You're looking for a new star wide receiver. You've got question marks on defense with Jalen Redman, late, you know, a late departure from the team. I mean, they're, they're, you take out spring ball, limited summer practice. They're into fall camp. They finish fall camp. I mean, Oklahoma shooting themselves in the foot is the most likely scenario for frustration on Saturday night. I'm not going to disagree with you one bit there. There are some other concerns that I will certainly throw out there as it pertains to this game, but there's a lot of reasons to be excited as well. I I know we've talked about the initial game here for the Oklahoma Sooners, the initial weekend for Big 12, not Big 12 play, but Big 12 opponents, Big 12 teams stepping onto the field and and seeing what they're actually made of. We had a little bit of a condensed offseason, no spring football, summer workouts being cut short breaks here and there being inserted into that equation. So again, there's a lot of things to be excited about. I know that everyone's going to be wanting to know what Spencer Rattler is capable of. Is he the real deal? Is he worthy of this, this Heisman consideration that he's already been, been thrown into the conversation of, is he this freshman who, ultimately is gonna going to torch the rest of the Big 12 and bring home this national title that many Oklahoma Sooner fans have been waiting for, some longer than others. Yeah, and speaking of quarterbacks, Missouri State, they've got a, a freshman quarterback as well, Richard freshman Jaden Johnson, 
Now, this kid was a commitment of Bobby Petrino's when Petrino was at Louisville. Bobby Petrino leaves Louisville. Johnson ends up at, at Southern Mississippi and then leaves Southern Mississippi when Petrino lands in, in Springfield at Missouri State. He's a dual-threat guy. And when I'm looking at this from the quarterback perspective, again, I'm not saying that he's going to be a challenge to Oklahoma, but it does give us maybe a small indicator of how the Sooners would face a guy like Skylar Thompson from Kansas State here in a couple of weeks. Right, and you definitely have to look at that the inside linebacker position. When Caleb Kelly went down, there were a lot of question marks as to what Oklahoma was going to do. There's a lot of question marks about the defense as a whole at this point, maybe more than we were expecting heading into the season due to, to injury as well as suspensions. Whether these guys who are listed on the two deep are actually going to start and contribute in major ways, that's yet to be seen. But when I'm looking at that, that inside linebacker position, when Caleb Kelly, we knew the experience in the system that he would have. We knew the knowledge and we knew the talent. But more importantly, we knew the speed, the ability to be a disruptor in the backfield when given that opportunity. All of a sudden, he's removed from that equation and, and you're forced to look at a, a defensive end, an edge rusher moving into that inside linebacker position. Is there going to be a little bit of hesitation there? Is this experiment, for lack of a better term, is it going to, to prove itself? Is it going to pay dividends and actually begin to, for us as fans to say, yeah, that, that move definitely worked? Yeah, for sure. Now, Oklahoma, you're talking about depth chart and, and Caleb Kelly being gone and so forth. Oklahoma does release the depth chart on Wednesday. A couple surprises there that that I looked at. And the first one I thought of, Rich, was Anton Harrison lined up as a right. starter at left tackle. You know, true freshman. Um, raise your hand if you ever talked about Anton Harrison before. Not a single time. We were in terms of young guys on the offensive line, I think we could be excited about the depth that exists. I think Bill Biedenboe was even excited about the depth right. that exists. Did we anticipate a true freshman stepping into a starting role? Did we anticipate a freshman in general, whether they were a red shirt or a true freshman, start stepping into a starting role? I think hands down the answer to that question was a no. But if I had to pick someone, it wouldn't have been Harrison. It would have been Rame. Andrew yeah, Rame. exactly. Yeah, no doubt, because he's the guy that Beatenbow uh, of these freshmen, he's the guy that Beatenbow was has been touting so much. And I think that's why when you when you look at this, you kind of do a double take because you see Anton Harrison and, and my my first thought was, well, I'm not reading that right. And then mm -hmm. you, you go down and you see, well, yeah, it actually is a true freshman at left tackle. So that's a great point because Bill Biedenboe, you know, the, the guys he's talked about and has really raved on uh, Creed Humphrey, who everyone is high on, and then Andrew Rame, and you never hear Anton Harrison's name mentioned until this depth chart was released on Wednesday. Right, and you, the left side of this offensive line is vital to the success of the Sooners and it's vital to the confidence level of a young quarterback in Spencer Rattler. We talk about the running game and not having the uh, experience that we expected to heading into this year, it, that left side of the offensive line, it, it's going to be one key area to watch. I believe these defensive coordinators are going to say, look, we're going to go after that side and we're going to make these right. young guys prove that they can hold up before we start uh, diversifying what we're doing on the defensive side of the ball and more specifically diversifying what they're doing in that pass rush. So expect it to come from the blind side more often than not. But I mean, Bill Biedenboe's, He's got a proven track record. He's not a guy who has no experience in playing younger talent. Mm -hmm. I'm trusting him in this scenario. I, I, I believe that it will work. But on the surface, it is that the biggest surprise, as you've mentioned. Yeah, and I would expect, you know, again, with all due respect to Anton Harrison, if Bill Beatenbull thinks he's worthy of the position, then he's worthy of the position. But I would expect a lot of H-back type support on that left side um, until this kid gets his feet wet a little bit. Um, the, you know, the next surprise for me on that defense, on, on that uh, depth chart was defensive end where you see Ronnie Perkins, who's supposed to be suspended uh, for half the, up to half the season. He's listed as a, as a starter. Um, the Sooners have clearly um, appealed this, and we don't know if there's a response on that appeal yet. It hasn't been released if there is. But, I mean, again, I took a double take there at Ronnie Perkins, sit there at, number one on the on the depth chart at defensive end. 
Right. And it's not just him. It's the names of all the, the individuals who are sitting out or expected to set out because of a suspension. You have um, Trajan Bridges, who right. also appears with an or next to his name. Right. I'd have to go back and look at that. But I believe he was listed with two other names, meaning that any three of those names mm-hmm. could step out on the field with the ones here on Saturday. Ronnie Perkins, one of the biggest contributors. It's a good sign to see his name on that list when you look at what's happening on the other side of that defensive line with Redmond. Yeah, and I would say that um, the, the, the biggest difference between a guy like Perkins and, and you already mentioned Bridges and then Ramondre Stevenson is, you know, Ramondre Stevenson was a little bit further down on the depth chart. And Bridges, what you, you said, had the or, you know, mm-hmm. by his name. Ronnie Perkins is, is just listed there as the starter. And I, I at this point, when we're recording this on Thursday before the game, there's I have zero expectation that we'll see Ronnie Perkins on the field Saturday evening. But if I'm, again, going back to Missouri State, and if I'm Bobby Petrino, I'm looking at that, and I've got a game plan as if he is actually going to be there. Do I not? You absolutely have to. And one of the things that it makes me question is I do know throughout this entire process from the time that the bowl game happened to today, there has been an appeal that was filed by Mm -hmm. the university, the university of Oklahoma. That is each and every time Lincoln Riley was asked about that appeal, he never gave an answer just saying that they were waiting for an update. The question that I have pertaining to that situation Ramondre Stevenson, Trajan Bridges, and, and Ronnie Perkins was, did the appeal go through and did Oklahoma receive good news? Right. We don't know that. I don't know that it's something that was forgotten, but it's definitely being overlooked at this point in time. Yeah, and I'm, I guess we'll find out 6 o'clock Saturday night on, on that. Um, okay, so the last thing to me that stood out on the depth chart was when you look at the offense and the defense, you know, 22 players, there's only two seniors listed amongst the 22 players. And you look at this, and, and everyone has high hopes for Oklahoma in 2020. But when you look at the youth of this team, really 2021, 2022 are going to be probably the best years we've seen under Lincoln Riley. 2021, 2022? Yeah. I mean, this year is going to be good. But, again, you look at the youth of this team – and how they're going to develop, I, I, I think the future is even brighter in, in coming seasons. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on 2021 over 2022. When I look at what Oklahoma has, you have to consider, sure, I get it. I, I get that this is a season where individuals who choose to play or choose not to play will receive an extra year of eligibility, but there's also the NFL to consider for a lot of these individuals. They have that type of talent. I'm looking more specifically defensively at Oklahoma and saying 2021 adds depth. It adds experience. We look at what Oklahoma is doing recruiting wise. So it adds a lot of young talent to this roster as well. But what happens in the middle of this defensive line when you've got two Juco guys coming Mm -hmm. in really to be a stopgap? I had labeled it as that. Now, that's no slight to the talent because I know that Perry and Winfrey was a very highly touted recruit, even though he went the Juco route. And then, of course, you also had um, Josh Ellison stepping in at a defensive tackle position. These were guys I expected to contribute immediately, but not for an extended period of time as Oklahoma, more specifically, Alex Grinch was able to get guys that he could shape and mold who possibly didn't have bad habits developed at this point. And I'm not saying that, that Ellison or Winfrey have bad habits. They've, they were obviously the number one and number two defensive tackles in the country last year on the Juco circuit. Yeah, for sure. Now, is there anything else that you want to, that stood out in the depth chart that, that we haven't talked about? Um, I don't know that there was anything that, that really stood out, but we did get that confirmation of Robert Barnes' progression as he moved right. into more of a linebacker role. And then the the only other thing that I would point out was I get that Deshaun White is that next up-and-coming linebacker, but I'm, I'm looking at David Uguebu and I'm saying he's that guy that I was referencing that moved mm-hmm. from a, an edge rusher to that linebacker, more of that experimentation. So again, seeing that he's listed behind Deshaun White at that middle linebacker, that inside linebacker position says that things are going well so far. We'll see. Again, it's something I'm going to be watching in a, in a live 
action event? How, how far has he progressed in accepting that new role and adopting this scheme that he's, he's now forced to play in? Oklahoma, Missouri State, 6 o'clock Saturday night. True or false coming up. I get to ask Rich five questions about this game. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, Rich, what's well, my turn to ask uh, the true or false questions this week? And again, I, I say this every time, I'm in a much more comfortable position doing it this way as opposed to when you're the one asking the questions because I know what I'm doing and you don't, or vice versa when you're asking the questions. So let's, let's jump into this. You ready? Yep. All right, here we go. Uh, with the departure of Kennedy Brooks, TJ Pledger, becomes the new number one running back for this team as the season opener approaches Saturday night. True or false, TJ Pledger will not be the team's leading rusher Saturday night. I have to believe that that one is true, that TJ Pledger will not lead this team in rushing yards. I think that it's going to be a heavy rotation of the guys who are currently on the roster. And you also have to factor in the ability or the athletic ability. I was going to say the ability to scramble, but the athletic ability and whether Oklahoma uses design runs specifically for Spencer Rattler to throw in a wrinkle. I don't think we see a lot in this game, but getting his legs seaworthy is how I'll label that. So I do think we see just a little bit of it, but again, it's going to be a heavy rotation. Marcus Mims is, is the odds on favorite for me to lead this Marcus team. Major. Yes. Sorry. Marcus Mims would be a receiver. Marcus major. Um, just because of what he presents size wise, what you see out of him and, and, Really, this is going to be his first time on the field in a more significant role than what he held last mm-hmm. year. Yeah, I agree with you for sure on Marcus Major. I, I, you know, TJ Pleasure, he's a junior, so he's the elder statesman, so to speak. Returning rusher on the season, or starting the season, he's the leading returning rusher for the Sooners. But Marcus Major is the guy that, that I'm really thinking is going to be the star in mm-hmm. this backfield. And then I'm you know, I'm excited to see Seth McGowan. I think Seth McGowan is going to get every bit of his four games Why Ramondre Stevenson serves that suspension. And then I think we might see McGowan go into a red shirt unless he's the reincarnation of Adrian Peterson. But I'm going to agree with you on Foss. Now, you talked about Spencer Rattler. Uh, you talked about potentially him doing some design running or scrambling during this game. So here, here we go. The, the debut of a new quarterback for Oklahoma. We've seen Spencer Rattler, but we've never seen him in the starting position. Oklahoma did not have spring. Whereas we already talked about, they had limited summer workouts before fall camp. Spencer Rattler will play more than three quarters as he gets acclimated to running Lincoln Riley's offense on Saturday night. Yeah, that one's absolutely true for me. How far he goes into the fourth quarter, I won't say because I don't think it would be more than than one offensive drive. Oklahoma is expected to win this one pretty handily. That's also going to play a factor here before Tanner Mordecai steps in. I, I am saying due to the reasons, due to the circumstances – Spencer Rattler remains in the game for all three. He, he closes out the third quarter and, again, gets that first drive. So that, that's my final answer. When you say the first drive, you mean the first drive of the fourth quarter? First drive offensively of the fourth quarter, yes. Okay. All right, I just want to clarify that because I think I'm going to disagree with you on this. I think I have changed my stance on this since last week. I agree. I think he gets three quarters. Mm-hmm. But here, here's something that just as I've been thinking through this, you know, Tanner Mordecai was injured in fall camp right? And so Spencer Rattler ran the number one offense basically all through fall camp while Mordecai was injured in a year of COVID where the backup quarterback becomes really more crucial than he's ever been before. I think they get Tanner Mordecai in 
uh, late third, maybe to start the fourth, that first possession of the fourth, just to let him run some ball before they look at Kansas State in two weeks. Let me expand upon this idea because when you say that Spencer Rattler took all the snaps with the ones, one of those players was Kennedy Brooks. Now that he's removed himself from the equation, there's going to be, in my opinion, there's going to be a little bit of work to do with these these younger guys. TJ Pledger gets the the exception here, but a Marcus Major. Um, we're not even looking at Ramondre Stevenson at this point, but we're definitely throwing uh, McGowan in that mix as well. Mm-hmm. Are these guys going to know where those blocks are coming from? Are they going to be able to Spencer Rattler I'm speaking of now turn the right direction and (laughs) that running back be there or will the running back have some mistakes as well again I think just expanding upon this idea I think that's why he goes a little bit further than the third quarter okay well we'll see uh we'll see the answer probably around 8 30 on Saturday night how that how that shakes out (laughs) okay no number three uh was something we've already talked about Anton Harrison true freshman uh, listed as the number one left tackle on Oklahoma's game day depth chart. True or false? Anton Harrison will not start at left tackle, but rather Bill Biedenboe is using this as a ploy and motivation for a guy like Eric Swinson or Stacy Wilkins. Oh, man. That's a good question. I don't think it's a ploy. I'm going to go with false. Um, wait, wait, your question was, he will not start and right. it is just a ploy. Right. I, I'm going with that statement is false. I think Anton Harrison is the guy. There are, have been several write-ups uh, when we begin to look at the previews for Oklahoma outside of just our own. And some of them mention Anton Harrison. <laughs> some of them mention Andrew Rame as well as guys who you should expect to contribute early. And often, even though they are younger, even though they there are some higher touted recruits like a Bray Walker still sitting on this roster, those were the two names that were consistently thrown out as early contributors, and you should expect to see them. Anton Harrison now inserted into that starting role. I don't think it's something that Bill Beanbow is is simply trying to motivate someone, but he's saying, "Look, you've earned it, and so we're going to reward you with that that starting slot." Will he be in the starting role when we get to game 10? That's a completely different question. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to stay on, on your side on this and agree with you as well, just because of, you know, the Eric Swinson factor, we saw him struggle to, to get that job from RJ Proctor last season, uh, going back and forth between those two and, you know, seeing that I, I think maybe that Swenson hasn't locked it down this year either. And Bill Biedenboe's looking at Harrison well, and saying, this is my guy. So I, I'm going to – I'm go ahead. They've even got Swenson on the right side of the line playing a backup right now. Right, right. Well, that's what I'm saying is I, mm-hmm. I think that he – the left side is where they tried him out last season and he couldn't stick there. And so I think um, that's probably what they're looking at, you know, moving him just to wherever – he can be left all right as the backup. Okay, number four. Um, crazy things going to happen on Saturday night in Norman. When this game kicks off, there will be 20-some-odd thousand people in the stands and then a bunch of cardboard cutouts. It's going to be the weirdest game day atmosphere that has been in Norman probably in close to 100 years. True or false? Once this game gets going – and we're, we're midway through the first quarter, going into the second quarter. Fans watching it on TV won't even notice the crowd or the lack of. Man, I, I'm, I don't think anyone's going to notice the crowd besides the people who are there. Why do I say that? I have watched a handful of MLB games more than I've watched college football games in this point of the college year. college football. <laughs> apparently, apparently. When I've been watching the MLB games, whether it's been in a restaurant or, or whether that's been in more of a private setting, I've never once stopped and said, that's strange. The crowd 
even though their cardboard cutouts just looks off. And a lot of it has to do with the crowd noise for me. Being able to pipe in some kind of crowd level has definitely helped with that atmosphere. Almost seem as if it is a full stadium of people. No, I'm not talking playoff level of stadium full of people, but a stadium full of people nonetheless with a little bit of that buzz. I do expect that to be the case for college football. I do expect that to be the case in Norman, the, the uh, Palace on the Prairie as Oklahoma gets ready or takes the field against Missouri State. So yeah, for sure. I don't think anyone's going to notice the crowd. I don't know how you ask that. So true or false? I, I don't know which side I'm on specifically. Okay. So I mean, I'm going to read you the question okay. that once the game gets going, watching on tv we won't notice the lack of a crowd okay that is true all right here we go the last one um and i i I agree with you by the way um the last one big 12 has a week week a a very weak as w-e-a-k week one schedule so they're soft in week one um when you when it's the the only time you get to play the non-conference game so everyone's you know going with the cupcakes but the Sooners are still, even though across the board it's, it's a soft schedule, the Sooners will still produce at least one conference player of the week after Saturday night's game. Hmm. I'm trying to think when you talk about the conference player of the week, who that could potentially be. I'm going to go with false on this one. Okay. Yeah, you I'm going to reasoning. Disagree. Yeah, I want your reasoning. And then I'm going to disagree with you and give you my reasoning. We will have uh, the one that I could see Oklahoma taking would be newcomer of the week because there are so, so many new names that are going to step onto the field in a much larger role than what they had played previously, which would have been no role at all if they were the newcomer of the week. I'm looking at a guy like Spencer Rattler, who's entering that starting role, red shirts last year. He, he would be the odds on favorite for me to, to take that kind of an award for the Oklahoma Sooners. But I think there's a lot of talent across the, across the league this year, specifically on the offensive side of the ball that could put up some very gaudy numbers in week one, Oklahoma state has a lot of potential on the offensive side, as well as the defensive side of the ball. You begin to think of star power. I I just don't know that Oklahoma in week one will compete. Okay. Well, here's one odd statement to make, isn't it? Well, you, you don't mean compete against Missouri State. You mean uh, compete with other big for the awards playing cupcakes for, as for well. Those, right, right. For the weekly award, yeah. Right. Well, here's where I'm going to disagree with you. Uh, first of all, Missouri State's terrible. This may be – before Missouri State, I think the worst season opener soft cupcake schedule that Oklahoma has had would have been like Indiana State years, uh, years ago, okay? And when I say years ago, I mean like 10-ish years ago – they played um, as Idaho State, not Indiana State. They played Idaho State to start the season. That was a terrible team. Missouri State may be worse than this. So I think there's a chance someone's going to have some really gaudy numbers offensively or defensively. But worst case scenario, Oklahoma has the best kicker in the Big 12 and Gabe Burkich, who's probably going to kick somewhere between 7 to 10 extra point attempts and maybe tack on a a field goal or two as well as doing kickoff responsibilities Gabe Burkett's leg is going to need to be iced after this game he's my fallback if nothing else I think he might get special teams player of the week and I think that's a very good point that you've just made I wasn't even thinking of Burkett as we begin to consider weekly awards more so looking for offensive player of the week defensive player of the week and, and newcomer as the the big three Okay, so that's going to wrap it up for true or false. We're going to break in offensive keys, defensive keys of the game as the Sooners get ready to host Missouri State to start the season Saturday night. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, Rich, which are which are you more excited about seeing take the field Saturday night, offense or defense for the Sooners? 
Um, both can can I go with? Kind <laughs> you of gotta pick answer? one. You like I said, one. there there are several different areas that we're definitely going to be watching as we head into this weekend, as we head specifically into our living rooms to watch this football game. Cause I know you're not going, I'm not going Matt. So we will definitely be watching different areas of this game, but I I've got to say the offense, that's the one thing that consistently brings fireworks. When you think of the Oklahoma Sooners, they've consistently been good under Lincoln Riley and they've consistently put up tons and tons of points, especially in week one. While I'm curious about the defense. And I'm curious, as I've mentioned about that linebacker position, as well as this defensive line, the, the real excitement is going to come from Spencer Rattler. No questions asked. Yeah. So that I'm, I'm with you. I, I think, um, I think I'm, I'm leaning slightly towards the offense just because of Lincoln Riley's track record and all the hype, everything we've heard about Spencer Rattler to see him take the field at the, at the helm of this offense uh, you know, it's something that, that Oklahoma fans and, are, are going to look forward to. And the truth especially is – when you, Sorry, especially when you consider that the last two seasons, it's been one-and-done quarterbacks for Lincoln mm-hmm. Riley. Now you get to see – and we haven't seen this from a, a quarterback since Baker Mayfield, who's going to play multiple seasons as Lincoln Riley's guy. I am thankful that you went back a couple of seasons because this offense is going to look drastically different than it did last year. You've got – what everybody's saying when you compare Jalen Hurts to Spencer Rattler is a guy who's a more capable passer than Jalen Hurts was. Jalen Hurts, a big-bodied runner who could take a couple of hits, keep on ticking, get back up and command this offense. I don't know that that's the style of player that, that Spencer Rattler will be when he decides to tuck the ball and run. But we can definitely expect, again, a different style of offense that's catered specifically to the quarterback because as we know Lincoln Riley has said if you're not catering your your offense to the talent that you have on the field then you're doing it wrong and more specifically if you're not catering the offense to the abilities of your quarterback then you're doing it wrong and we've seen just how much success he's had in doing that dating back to Baker Mayfield so when I'm looking at this this offense and looking for the excitement and the fireworks it's definitely coming from that side I know I've already stated that once but just expect a completely different offense than than, I shouldn't say completely but a drastically different offense than what we saw last season yeah, well, I've got three keys to the game for Oklahoma's offense. I don't, and I'm, I don't know if you have any. Hopefully you do. You, you want to add to this. So we'll, we'll alternate. I'm going to give you my first one. And then typically when we do this, we have some of the same things. But the first thing I'm going to say, Oklahoma's offense has to establish the run on Saturday night. And I, and I, said, I said this when I wrote it up at, for the website, um, heartland-sports.com, by the way. My, my son, he listens to our podcast, and he always like, Dad, you got to stop plug in the website but hey i'm gonna do it heartland-sports.com we got a bunch of stuff there but i said this whenever um whenever i wrote the article you know every time i put something there for offensive keys for oklahoma football something with the running game is always going to be there because you have to run to pass if you're able to run successfully then that opens up the full playbook for Lincoln Riley, and it really puts the offense at a great advantage over the defense. But this year, it's even more so, it's even more important when you consider that the, the, the running back situation, Kennedy Brooks, he's gone. So you have, to, you have to look at this running back situation, and you have to know that T.J. Pledger, he's a junior, he's got like 40 carries for his career. Now, he's averaging 6.1 yards per carry, which is great, but that is so minuscule compared to what we thought we were going to have on this team, uh, you know, uh, several weeks ago when Kennedy Brooks was going to be the star. So you have to establish the, the for sure pecking order of your running game. You have to establish how you're going to use them. I still expect to see multiple backs on the field. I think we're going to see Pledger and Marcus Major on the field. These guys, you got to be confident that they know their blocking assignments. You've already alluded to that. They got to know their passing routes and they got to know the offense. They've got to know the playbook. So I think establishing the run is even more important than it ever has been before. And that doesn't even take into consideration things we've talked about on previous podcasts when you're breaking in a new quarterback and the best way to keep him comfortable is to run the football. So to me, the most important thing Oklahoma's offense can do Saturday night is establish the run. I'm going to stick with the offensive side of the ball. And I'm going to say that Oklahoma, in order to be successful on Saturday night, must also value the possession, but more importantly, 
protect the football. Right. When we look at the running back position, I don't need to hash out the names. When we look at the quarterback position and when we look at these receivers, there's a lot of new names. There's a lot of mm-hmm. inexperienced players on that, that too deep as well. What happens when they take that hit or hear those footsteps? Is the ball going to be popped up into the air? Is one of the running backs going to cough the ball up and put it on the ground? Is the quarterback going to, in an attempt to keep their balance, put the ball on the ground and simply lose it? There's, there's a lot that could go wrong. I'm not saying that it will go wrong, but making sure that Oklahoma limits those turnovers here in week one will definitely provide a good showing, but do a lot for a piece of mind moving forward. Yeah, I, you know, the protect the ball is number two for me on my list of um, offensive keys, which, you know, we're on the same page there, which I said would happen. And the only thing I'd like to add to it, that, other than what you said, is with, a, with such a a cast of young players and first-year starters, their their propensity there is also to, you know, to try to do too much, right. to try to, uh, you know, try to overplay the play, extend it, or, you know, try to run es- through, especially run through for, tackles. Especially for the ahead. guys um, who haven't necessarily felt like they've shored up a starting position. Uh-huh. Right. They're going to be trying to prove their worth to keep it or to overtake the guy in front of them. Yeah, I completely agree. And so when you, when you do that kind of stuff, you, you, you're more apt to fumble the ball or throw an interception or so forth. So Just yeah, we're on the same page. Two spin moves in a row. Or are you, you keep talking about Kyler Murray. You, you, you just keep throwing shade at Kyler Murray, you know, using the ball to balance yourself. That was um, a game okay. Oklahoma should have won. <laughs> I, I agree, but, but whatever. They still won the Big 12 for those For those who are wondering which game we're talking about, we're talking I, everybody about Everybody knows. Anybody who listens to this podcast, they know exactly <laughs> what you're talking University about. University of Oklahoma versus the Texas Longhorns. Okay, so my last thing for the offense that I have, uh, we, you know, we, I said establish the run. We both agree, protect the ball. My, my last thing that I have is just play clean. Um, you know, I, I keep throwing this out here, but no spring ball, limited summer workouts. You know, you've got new receivers, new running backs, a freshman on the left side of your offensive line, things like false starts, holding penalties, not knowing your assignments, those things – I'm fully expecting there to be some sloppy play on Saturday night, but it has to be limited. And maybe, maybe in the first two drives uh, or the first two defensive um, time, first two times the defense is on the field. And from that point, get it cleaned up. I, I, I want to see clean because this is the only tune-up game that you have mm-hmm. before Kansas State comes in two weeks. The, the last one I'm going to throw out there then, Matt, is I really wanted to see Oklahoma play balanced on the mm-hmm. offensive side of the That's ball. That's a good point. I don't want to see Oklahoma lean too heavily into one or the other, whether that is the, the passing game. We know what Oklahoma has in these receivers. I know there's a few transfers who have inserted their names into the equation and are looking to contribute. Obi, uh, Obiallo, as well as Theo Howard. Theo Howard, a surprise there, potentially on the roster for some right. of, someone who's listening, saying, I didn't expect him to be ready for the season opener, but here we are. It's time for the season opener. He's listed. He's apparently 100% ready to go. Uh, and and begin contributing in in ways that we've seen him do at UCLA. Needless to say, um, I don't want to see it be extremely heavy one way or the other, and that's just through three quarters because I believe the fourth quarter is going to be a very run-heavy offense. So we'll excuse that fourth quarter, but for the first 45 minutes of this game, again, what I'm hoping for is is pretty close to a 50-50 split. Okay, so give me a couple of players. Who are you looking for? Who are you going to be watching on Saturday night on the offense? Um, Definitely the running backs. I had mentioned that this isn't to say that TJ Pledger isn't a good talent, but the one that excites me the most is definitely Marcus Major. So wanting to see what he can contribute on the offensive side of the ball. Is he going to pick up really where Kennedy Brooks left off and have these monstrous gains each time he touches the ball for an extremely high average? I couldn't tell you what Kennedy Brooks was off the top of my head, but I I believe it was above seven, seven yards per carry or eight yards per carry for his career. Right. Yeah, so you're in the ball. I don't think mm -hmm. it was eight. I think it's between six and a half and seven, but I could be wrong as well. I I don't have the stats in front of me. 
I'm just looking at, at Major and saying that he has the body type to be – he has the speed as well to be a guy who is an every down back. So, again, we'll definitely be watching him. I, I'm going to forego Spencer Rattler because I think that's a very easy – that's a softball answer mm-hmm. for me. It's a, it's a guy that everyone's going to pick out as the guy that you're going to be watching. So, I'm going to go back to the offensive line and say, <laughs> who is this Anton Harrison – and is he really the best option that we've got on the left side of this line? Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on the running backs. Um, for for I, I agree with you maybe for different reasons. Uh, first of all, I think the passing game is going to be there. Spencer Rattler already had a rapport with this the group mm-hmm. of receivers that he came in to Oklahoma with. He uh, we we've already mentioned the fact that he took most of the snaps with the starting offense during fall camp. So he's 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 got time to to connect with the guys like uh, Obialo and Theo Howard. He's, he's been on campus for, for longer than a year, so he knows Charleston Rambo. I think the passing game is going to be there. I don't know about the running game, and that's why I'm going to be watching that more than any other position on the offense because we know Ramondre Stevenson at some point is going to come back, and the de- departure of Kennedy Brooks – puts Ramondre Stevenson even more so in the spotlight on this offense than I believe he would have been coming back from that suspension. But who's going to be there with Ramondre? Is it going to be Marcus Major or does TJ um, does TJ Pledger truly have uh, a firm grasp on this this top um, this top spot on that running back depth chart? Okay, so let, let's move sides of the ball and let's go to defensive. And you you go first, giving me your defensive keys defensively I do believe Oklahoma needs to have an impact in the backfield we've talked significantly about the the title of this team which is speed d I do want to see that on display and so you look at the talent that is currently on the roster you look at the talent that's also coming in it's all geared towards Alex Grinch's scheme are they going to be able to get into the backfield like we we've seen them do previously without a guy like um, Redmond or potentially even Ronnie Perkins, who we know are the two best pass rushers on this team. Perkins being that number one option that Oklahoma will consistently rely on. So again, when I look at Oklahoma and I look at a key to the game, I do believe that they need to create a little bit of havoc in the backfield against Missouri State. But that goes for any uh, opponent here, here moving forward because of the caliber of quarterback that Oklahoma will face. Yeah, that's a good point, and and I'm I'm looking more to that at the defensive end position, absent Ronnie Perkins, because I think if you take Perkins out of that equation, like you mentioned, you you're going to struggle from that position to get pressure on the quarterback. Now, you don't necessarily have to use your defensive ends to get pressure. Think about Pat Fields. You know how he can come in for that safety spot. You we've already talked about Perry and Winfrey. You know coming up the middle and and things like that. But what I want to see is if these defensive ends aren't without Ronnie Perkins, if they're not going to be the pass rushers, then they've got to be containers, especially when you look at a quarterback like they're going to play Saturday night and Jaden Johnson. And we've already talked about Skylar Thompson coming in for that second game being the quarterback. These guys have to be able to contain. If Oklahoma is able to bring pressure up the middle through a safety blitz, through a linebacker blitz, or just the the nose guard or defensive tackle breaking through, then the defensive ends, they they have to be there to keep that quarterback from getting left or right out of that pocket. So that's what I'm going to be watching more specifically on the pass rush. Not that it's coming from the defensive ends, but can the defensive ends keep containment on the quarterback once he's pressured? Uh, Another thing I'm going to be looking at is, um, you know, I want to see sure tackling. Uh, I I, I don't want to keep beating a dead horse, but when you you (laughs) go back, no spring ball, limited summer workouts. How ready are these guys going to be to tackle? And I think back to that Navy game against BYU last Monday night where Navy just looked like they hadn't tackled anything but air for, for seven months. And it turns out that's true. They never went live in practice. I don't think that's the case for Oklahoma, but still, if you're not, if you're not in the habit, if you're not there, you know, making tackles, being physical in practice, how well will that translate into this game? I think it could be sloppy at first, but I want to see it get better throughout the, the midway through the first quarter and beyond. The second one is right in line for me with what you've just previously said, and that is not necessarily putting yourself in a position to 
force a turnover, but it's actually securing it. How many times last season did we see Oklahoma go 99% of the way on the turnover, but that last 1% they simply couldn't capitalize on? I can't tell you if we went back and, and actually watched and counted, I I probably could point out some very specific instances, but I can't tell you how many times Oklahoma had a defender in position to force an interception, but it simply went through their right. hands. So I yeah. would love to see Oklahoma actually capitalize on those situations, knowing that they don't come in every single day, every single game, especially for your specific position or your specific name. So being able to secure those turnovers and essentially in the drive for an opponent is, is very vital to the success of this defense, getting them off the field. We've complained in the past about how long the defense was on the field. Now that has started to not be as big of a complaint as it was. In fact, it may have even completely disappeared last year with a, uh, more than a handful of three and outs that Oklahoma forced to begin the season. Needless to say, you can't go 99% and leave that one on the field. I know those guys will beat themselves up for it. So again, my, my second key to success on the defensive side of the ball is just securing the turnover when it, when it, when the opportunity presents itself. Yeah. hundred percent agree with you there. Do you have another one? Uh, are you, do you have a last one or is that it? I, I, ha I can come up with a last one. Well, I'm just, you I got three. throw something so, out no, there. No, I've got three. I just didn't want to, I didn't want to hey, overwhelm I'm, you. Matt, Matt, I'm going off the cuff here. So. Okay. They're good, right? Then. Do it. Do it. Yeah, you're doing great. Go, go with it. <laughs> yeah, What's your perfect. last one? Um, the, the last one for me then, when we begin to look at this, man, I really wanted to go with the, the tackling. That was going to be on my list as well. But when I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out this, this third option for you here, and it's not to let uh, big plays take place mm. often. I know that big plays will happen. I know that there will be breakdowns, that there will be miscommunications, uh, lining up improperly, things of that nature will happen. It's just a part of the game. It's will an offense be able to take advantage of it. Too many times, I think we saw Oklahoma get abused by some of these long plays. Now, again, I look at a guy like a Trey Brown who presented his speed and basically had a game-saving tackle against Baylor. Right. We don't need to see that frequently this upcoming season in general, but specifically in this game, I want to see uh, no big plays. I don't want to see even two of, of 20 plus yards given the talent discrepancies. Yeah, that's a fair point. And it kind of, kind of caters into my last point and that's just improved safety play. Now keep in mind the last time we saw this team take the field, they were without Patrick Fields and then uh, Buki got ejected uh, there in that Peach Bowl. So the safety play was horrendous. Now you've got, uh, I said, did I say Pat Fields or DTL? They were without D. Okay, they had Pat Fields, but they were without DTL. Um, but the, the point is, Delarian Turner Yell is, is healthy. I think Buki is not going to get ejected in this game. You know, they've got to reestablish the safety position and giving up those big plays has been the result of poor safety play more so than the guys on the edges. And so I want to see better safety play mm -hmm. from Oklahoma's defense. And therefore that makes the safeties the first position I'm going to be watching on Saturday night, just to see these guys are a year older, more experienced. How, how much have they improved? My, I'm just going to give you my two, two players that I'm going to be watching. The first of those is definitely going to be Deshaun White. We've touted him as the, I, I don't want to say the second coming of a guy like Kenneth Murray, but for lack of a better analogy there, we're expecting him to play at a very similar level that Kenneth Murray did in his final season with the Oklahoma Sooners. You talk about the ability to flow to the ball. You talk about sure tackling. This is a guy who should be the leader in tackles this upcoming season. And so he's going to have to be one of the fastest players on the field. He's going to have to be a guy who wraps up, doesn't put his head down and simply launch, hoping that he hits the ball carrier. But again, textbook tackling is what I expect him to set the tone in this upcoming year, given the experience that he has in the system. And then very much so in, in the very same line, Neville Gallimore and that loss was a, a pretty big loss in the middle of this defensive line. Oklahoma was able to at least begin to collapse these offensive fronts um, with Neville Gallimore there in the, in the middle at that nose tackle. Perry and Winfrey stepping in. There's a lot of high expectations for him. Mm -hmm. I do hope that we don't see that drop off that, that some do expect now that Neville Gallimore is not with this program and is now in the NFL, but Perry and Winfrey, we, we talk about 
the talent that he is, the highly touted recruit, even though he came via the JUCO route, I'm expecting him to get that same kind of an initial push in the middle and begin to make things on the offensive for the, the opposing offensive lines to begin to warp and to bend out of shape, which then again creates a little bit of the, the uh, opportunity for these edge rushers. Yeah, I'm with you on Perry and Winfrey. In fact, he was my second guy that I was going to mention, um, you know, watching specifically for all the reasons that you suggested. And then the third person uh, is that next to in, still the interior of the defensive line, you know, LaRon Stokes with, with, with Jalen Redman opting out this week, LaRon Stokes becomes the next guy up. And so he's, he's listed as the starter defensive tackle. He's a guy who should be ready. He's going into his senior season. He should be ready for this position to live in this moment. But if, if he's not, there's another Juco guy right behind him in Josh Ellison, and he's certainly going to be in their rotation. But I'm going to be watching to see how close Josh Ellison and LaRon Stokes are. Is, is Oklahoma losing anything when they rotate one of those guys out for the other? So yeah, that's going to wrap it up. Go ahead. I was going to say, I have a very similar question. This is a little bit of an offshoot here. I've got a very similar question when it comes to Jaden Davis and Trey Norwood. We know that yes. Norwood suffered the energy, energy, the injury which sidelined him and really gave way to Jaden Davis. But as a freshman, I think Jaden Davis proved, proved that he was the uh -huh. best tackler in that secondary. There was not a time that I attended a game in person where I ever thought Jaden Davis in space was a bad idea. Needless to say, Norwood's a very good option, and thought I thought he would be the starter for the remainder of his career until suffering that, that injury. I almost said energy again, but until suffering that injury, when we look at these two, there's not going to be a huge uh, gap between mm. them. Are we going to see a healthy rotation? Are we going to see maybe the utilization of a, a different schematic out of, out of Alex Grinch where all three of those guys end up on the field at the same time in certain situations, Norwood, Jaden Davis, and Trey Brown? Well, look, here, here's the way I, that I look at that. And, and you remember I said last season as a freshman, Jaden Davis was the most fundamentally sound cornerback that Oklahoma put on the field. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and Parnell Motley, he had a great senior season. So much so, he made the 53-man roster for Tampa Bay as an undrafted free agent. So kudos to That's Parnell. That's what happens for... when you intercept uh, Tom Brady a couple times, right? <laughs> right. And kudos to Parnell for getting it all figured out. But you can't help but think, look, th that was not a liability. That position was not a liability in 2019 when you had Trey Brown, Jaden Davis, and Parnell Motley. I think putting Norwood in there only makes this position better. Again, Motley, Motley cleaned it up and got it done last year. But if Norwood's, if Norwood's healthy last year, I don't think Motley's playing for Tampa Bay right now. Mm -hmm. So I think Norwood is a step up, and I think that position gets better. And I expect them to use that rotation very similarly to what they did last season – it, it just with Motley being gone and Norwood being in, that's a great point, though, that we hadn't talked about. But I, I think cornerback play across the board will be better, and it wasn't terrible in 2019. Yeah, I can't disagree. Okay. So closing thoughts on that. Now we got to go around the Big 12, talk to you about uh, the rest of the games for the conference, as well as provide our score predictions for Saturday night. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Okay, Rich, looking at the Big 12, I, I, my initial thought was I'm going to rank these games from worst to first, but they're all really bad. I mean, and, and it's, it's what you would expect when you only get one non-conference game. So we're just going to go kind of in through the order of their start time, and then we'll talk OU Missouri at the very end and give a score position, but a, a score prediction. I Uh-oh. I, my 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 phone dropped. I don't know if you heard that or not. But um, okay, let's start with Louisiana and Iowa State. I think this is going to be a fun game. I think the Cyclones will win, but I think that um, when you look at Iowa State, a team that traditionally struggles at the beginning of the season, we've talked. You know, we've seen in the past Northern Iowa sneak up and, and bite them. Louisiana is not a bad team. This may be one of the best opponents a Big 12 team will face all weekend long, if not the best opponent a Big 12 team will face all weekend long. I like this game. I think it's going to be a fun game. I plan to watch this game, but I think Iowa State gets the win, and they almost have to get the win if they're going to be the Big 12 contender everyone expects them to be. I don't think this is as big of a challenge 
for Iowa State, as you may believe at this point in time. When I look at Louisiana, I, I do believe they present a little bit of a problem. I think they've got a one-two punch at the running back position that is very, very dangerous. But in the end, Iowa State under Matt Campbell has been very sound defensively. They've always been able to lean into that as their identity. But now they've got a, a gentleman by the name of Brock Purdy who's slinging the ball around, who we've labeled as the most NFL-ready quarterback in right. all of the Big 12. As we begin to look at the complete package that Iowa State's going to fill, that's why I don't think it's going to be as big of an issue you Iowa State are as big of a struggle to win this game and I'm not saying that you believe it's going to be a super tight game but looking at the receiver talent that Iowa State has there are some big targets I expect Iowa State to sling the ball down the field and to be very successful in that with not a ton of stops so I've got Iowa State from start to finish in this one okay um Eastern Kentucky at West Virginia, if there's a Big 12 team that's going to lose opening weekend, it could be the Mountaineers. Not that Eastern Kentucky is great, but I don't know that West Virginia is going to be hardly any good at all this season. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't really know what to expect. I, I expect West Virginia to win this in an ugly, ugly game. They may very well, and it may be a very low-scoring uh, affair for West Virginia. I just don't – I don't know anything about Eastern Kentucky. I don't know how good they could potentially be. I don't know what they possess talent-wise, but if Jarrett Dagey is the quarterback who is going to bring revival to this West Virginia team, they they should have a quasi-decent outing and at least put up 30 points. And anytime, in my opinion, you put up 30, 35 points, that, that's worthy of a win, assuming your defense holds serve. Yeah, I said, I think it'd be ugly, but it'll be a win for the Mountaineers. But if there's a Big 12 team to lose, I think that's it. It's going to happen in Morgantown. Arkansas State at Kansas State. I kind of feel the same about this game as I do Louisiana at Iowa State. Not because Arkansas State's on the same level as Louisiana, but they are kind of salty. And Kansas State, this is a team that lost a lot from last season. First time out, they had COVID uh, struggles. Um, this could be an ugly game, but I think it's a game that Kansas State ultimately pulls out. Yeah, you look at the dual threat ability of Kansas State, specifically Thompson. And yeah, I think, Skyler Thompson. Okay, I was going to say, I hope I'm thinking of the right team because I know that they had a transfer to TCU, and I didn't want to get those two confused. Anyway, you look at the dual threat ability, a guy who I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, through for uh, 4,000 and has 1,000 rushing yards in his career at Kansas State. That dual threat ability is what makes him an X factor. I was very disappointed, for lack of a better term, when I saw that Memphis and Arkansas State score. Because, Matt, we know I didn't watch the game, but I saw the outcome. I thought it would be a little bit closer uh, than it was, which, again, doesn't give me a lot of hope for Arkansas State, I think Kansas State, again, is, is going to put them away pretty easily. Hey, Arkansas State still covered the spread. I know this because I had them in the Friday locks. Um, okay, UTEP at Texas. I would love, I would love for, the, for the Miners to get the upset here, but I think Texas just runs ragged all over UTEP. Yeah, Texas is out to prove something, which is that they're back. So they are going to have to score a lot of points. I think they have the the capability of doing that. It's not going to be a zero on the board for UTEP, though, either. But Texas, I do believe, will win this one by by a long shot. And what will rival Oklahoma-Missouri State as the worst Big 12 game of the weekend? Houston Baptist at Texas Tech. Red Raiders should win this game somewhere around 77-3. to Sounds about right. <laughs> okay. Coastal Carolina at Kansas. Does Les Miles start 2021-0? Man. Kansas. I I just don't know with Kansas, Matt. Um, it's been a long time since they've had a more than three-win season. I think they'll start at 1-0. Puka Williams. Puka Williams will literally and carry Parchment. them – literally carry them to victory um okay let's wrap it up here uh score prediction for oklahoma missouri saturday night six o'clock in norman give me your score prediction i'm gonna go with just just an easy one out here um 
when I look at Oklahoma, I do expect them to put up a lot of points. I don't expect there to be a ton of scoring, though, in the fourth quarter. I wouldn't be surprised if it was just seven to ten points that are scored by Oklahoma in that fourth quarter. So I'm going to go with a conservative guess here of 56 to 10 in favor of Oklahoma. Man, we are so close. I got 55 to 17 Sooners. Um, that's going to wrap it up for us. We will be back on the air through your local podcast networks on Sunday night to recap this game and to give you all of our thoughts on Oklahoma and Missouri State as well as thoughts from around the Big 12. Until then, here's Rich. I'm Matt. Boomer Sooner.